If you're the type that likes to follow along in an actual Bible, Revelation chapter 3, um, we're going to look at this uh, incredibly weird, um, hard, easy, clear to understand book, Revelation. I hope we're going to make it come alive uh, for you. Um, as always, um, we're here and um, we have a resource table at the back. CDs, DVDs, USBs, and direct downloads. Um, 100% of what we make from that, we give away to the poor and the afflicted. And that's, uh, I've been coming here for 12 years. So if you're normal to that, that's fine. But if you're new, that's why we have that there. Uh, we have three orphanages in China that look after mentally handicapped kids. Um, we have a rescue home in Cape Town that gets girls out of sex trafficking, off drugs, high school educated, and job trained so we can break the cycle of poverty in the Cape Town flats. Yep. So that's, that's that back there. Now everything, every package we have now has an individual USB as well. So no matter what you get, you have it in all formats, right? So you can put it on your phones, you can do iPads, whatever you, whatever you want to do. It can read in your car, Bluetooth, whatever. So you can, uh, you can uh, check those things out. Also, before we get going, um, I'd like to give you an authentic invitation back tonight. Um, as always, when I'm here on highway on the weekend, um, I put together um, something special for the evening services. And so uh, take an hour out of your life tonight and come on back. Um, I promise you it'll be worth your time. Um, if, if you come back tonight and it doesn't change your life, I will personally out of my own pocket refund whatever they charge you to come on Sunday night. Okay, so it's risk free. You can come on. You can come on and, you know, just if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. But I promise you, it will. It'll be well worth an hour of your time. And um, so come on back. All right, so Revelation chapter 3. This is uh, a part of a famous passage of scriptures that I'm working on a new series on to the, leaven, the, to the, letter, uh, the letters to the seven churches. And uh, this is the revelation of Jesus Christ to a church in the first world called Sardis. And I want us to find ourselves. Anytime we read the Bible, we want to ask two questions. What happened? But more importantly, what's happening in me right now because of it? And I'm hoping to make this thing uh, come alive for us. This is Revelation chapter 3, verse 1. To the angel of the church in Sardis, write this. These are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. To the angel of the church at Sardis, write this. This. So to understand what's going on here, we've got to have a quick history lesson, okay? So about half this message is going to be a history lesson. If, that, if that's sort of like, oh, no, Shane, I don't like history, well, give me a second. It might just be you had a bad history teacher, okay? So, so let, me, let me give me a second to unpack Sardis and Rome and what they thought and what was going on and the fact that this church was an oppressed group of people, right? You didn't want to be, people say, we need to go back to the first century church. No, do you want to die, right? If you, if you got caught practicing Christianity in the first century, they killed you. Nero in particular killed you a really bad way. He would take a wooden stick and ram it up your rear end, trying to go through both holes at once. And then what he would do is he would cover you in tar and set you on fire to keep his backyard alight with human candles, okay? So if you've ever had the thought, oh man, can you believe how bad this world's getting? What are you talking about, okay? These people were insane. And these people trying to live for Jesus in this insane sort of world. Sardis was a part of what would be modern day Turkey. It was called Asia Minor back then. It was a part of the Roman Empire. And and, and the Roman Empire was under the authority of a Caesar named Domitian at this time. So Domitian was the guy that exiled John to the island of Patmos. And John's writing this letter back to the seven churches, trying to encourage them to keep going in the midst of incredible oppression. Um, in, in the Roman Empire, everything was geared around something historians call the imperial cult. The imperial cult was the idea that Domitian isn't just a human being. He is fully God incarnate. And in no other name 
name on earth by which men can be saved other than the name of Caesar. This was the propaganda. Now, if you're the Roman government in the first century, how do you get your propaganda across the empire? There's no news. There's no social media. There's no Twitter feeds. There's no printing press at this point. What do you do? So here's what they did. They put their messages on coins. The idea was is that the money would go all around the empire. So let me just show you a few coins because Sardis, he says, it says, this is the testimony of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. So the propaganda on Domitian was that Domitian is the savior of the world and he holds the seven stars in place. And here, here's the coinage on that. There it is right there. There's Domitian. I don't expect you to be able to read that. I couldn't either until I looked it up. What that says around the outside of that coin is Domitian God saves. And Domitian is there sitting on top of the world holding the seven stars in place. So here's what's happening in this passage is a guy who was exiled to the island of Patmos is writing a letter back to a persecuted church going, he thinks he holds the seven stars in place, but this is the one whose testimony is true. And he holds the seven stars. This was not some boring bullet point on a pamphlet for us to believe in. This was a guy exiled to an island going up yours, Domitian. You're not going to get the last word here. Jesus does. So Domitian said that he was fully God in flesh, which leads to this question, what God is filling you? So Domitian said, I'm actually filled with the spirit of two gods, a male God named Jupiter. Let me show you the picture of that. Next slide. So there's, there's Domitian on one side and Jupiter on the other. Jupiter was the god of war, valor, courage. So, so he said, I am filled with the spirit of the god of courage and valor and victory. And, 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 and actually the Roman slogan was peace through victory. Of course, that doesn't work out if you're the one being conquered. But, but Domitian, what was this? And, and then of course, he was also filled with the spirit, he said, of the goddess, a female goddess called Roma. So Roma was the female goddess and she was the goddess of two things, virtue and justice, right? So humility, virtue, justice. So, so in one sense, he was filled with valor and courage and warrior and victory. And in another sense, he was filled with virtue and justice. And so the female goddess is depicted on coinage lots. Here she is there. You can see at the bottom there, it's Roma, right? And she, here she is, she's riding a horse into Rome, uh, which is called the city of seven hills, by the way. It, she's riding a horse into Rome, holding the scales of justice, and she's dressed virtuously. So this guy is exiled to the island of Patmos, and he says these most provocative things like, like hey, I saw a great whore descending on a horse to the city of seven hills. This was not something to be taken literally. Like Christians tickle me today. Like, oh, when's the great whore coming down? What are you talking about? Like that is not literal. And let's just be honest. I'm glad it's not literal because quite frankly, there's nothing scarier than a whore on a horse. You imagine that? right? That would be nuts, right? No, no, no. This is a guy exiled to the island of Patmos going, hey, 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 the spirit of the goddess of virtue and justice that he's claiming to be filled with, not only is she not virtuous, she's actually the opposite of virtuous. She's a whore. This is not something to be pamphleted in bullet points. This is a guy in exile going, uh-uh, you're not gonna get the last word here. I'm gonna encourage these people being oppressed by your policies and I am gonna stand up for what's right. I'm gonna stand up for what's right. And I'm gonna encourage them to keep going. You don't get the last word, Domitian, Jesus does. D Domitian was a particular narcissist. Here's what he did. He said, hey, 
The God Jupiter has an Olympic style games in his honor and I don't, that's not right. So here's what he did. Starting from 70 AD to 92 AD, he started an Olympic style games biannually to his honor and he humbly named it the Domitian Games. Now, tell me where you've heard this before. Here's what he did. He divided the Roman Empire into 12 districts. To prove he had power over all of them, he forced all 12 districts to give up two delegates to come to the capital city to fight a battle to the death in his honor in the Domitian Games. The only district absolved from having to give up the delegates was the capital city. Yes. And so you would come, is this sounding familiar to anybody? So you would come, 24 young people would come to the Roman Colosseum to participate in a games where everybody died except one. The one that did not die was declared the winner of the Domitian Games and was given honorary Roman citizenship to the capital city, which allowed them to participate in something called the dole. Yes, it was called the dole, where the Roman citizens were giving living wages based on excessive taxation of other people. <laughs> yeah, unbelievable. So th this is what would happen. So 24 people would compete in this game and everybody dies except for the final four. The final four, the last event of the Domitian game was a four horse horse race of four horses of a different color. Think Ben-Hur, where they just go around until everybody dies. And then you have one winner. This leaves 23 bodies on the floor of the Roman Colosseum. The last scene of the Domitian games was two characters, one called death and one called hell. And they would come in on horseback and collect the dead bodies. Can you hear the imagery in John's voice? And I saw death and hell coming in on horseback. When you attended the Domitian Games, you were given two things, a white robe and a gold crown. Why? Because Domitian wanted to create the greatest choir ever created to sing his praises. The opening ceremony of the Domitian Games, Domitian would stand before the people and do this, and they would sing a hymn of praise. It went something like this. We praise you, O Domitian, O Son of God, for you alone are worthy of all honor and glory and power and blessing. We praise you, O Domitian, O Son of God, for you alone are worthy of all honor glory, power, and blessing. And after the song, they would cast down their golden crowns at his feet. Think about your Roman movies where the Caesar's like this and everybody's throwing it down, right? Domitian hired 24 people to follow him around all day to tell him how good he was. Think about the, think about the book of Revelation. John says, and I saw the 24 elders sitting around the throne of God and we were given white robes and gold crowns and we were casting down our golden crowns around the glassy sea, but we were singing a new song. In other words, I've seen how this ends and Domitian doesn't get the last word. Jesus does. This is not some boring piece of weird literature. This is this violent, subversive, political, oppressive, liberating thing where a guy on the island of Patmos is taking on the empire in written form and he's encouraging these churches to go for it. Keep going. Jesus wins in the end. Now, Sardis, thank you. Now, Sardis particularly has a certain history as well. Next slide. 
So Sardis was on an important part of, of the Lydian Empire on the road to Persia. It was on the main road from Ephesus to the other parts. So it became the center of trade. It was like, a, a think of it like Wall Street of the day. Now, it was, it was built in two forms, a higher city and a lower city. So you had a higher city that was 1,500 meters high on, on a solid rock face. The only thing I've ever seen in the world like it is Cape Kidnappers in New Zealand, where they found a flat spot on top of 1,000 meters of rock face, and they, they built a golf course there. There they built a city. And what they did was, is they said, hey, here's the deal. Our city is impenetrable. We're 1,500 feet, we're 1,500 meters high on our straight rock wall. So no one can attack us without being covered from an elevated position. So their king famously called Sardis an impenetrable city. And it was, it absolutely was. Who could attack that? And so Sardis really got its feet under the king, under the name of a king called Croesus. Next slide. So Croesus um, was the richest guy who's ever lived, some say. It's actually still a saying today on the news. If someone's really, really rich, they might, th they might throw out, oh, they're rich as Croesus. Rich as Croesus. Now, I don't know how rich Croesus was, but would you agree with me that if they use your name as a metaphor 4,000 years later for rich people, you're pretty rich, right? Here's what he did, right? He was clever. He was the first person to master the art of spinning wool into actual clothes. Before Croesus, people just wore the whole animal. Croesus had this amazing idea. Here's what he said. Wait a minute. Instead of cutting the sheep open and then wearing its skin, what if we sheared the sheep, spun the wool into shirts, and then next year the sheep would have more wool? Amazing. Like New Zealand figured that out a long time ago, right? But, but, but Croesus was the first. Croesus would do this. So they, they, they spun wool. He also was the first person to master the art of minting coin in a way that standardized gold and silver. Before Croesus, you didn't know what was actually in the coin. You had to run all these tests. People could rip you off. Croesus did this. After he mastered the art of minting coin, they found the biggest deposit of gold ever found in the history of the world under his feet in the upper city, the largest deposit gold. So if you're following me, here's what he did. He mastered the art of minting coin. And then they found the largest deposit of gold ever under his city. This literally gave him a license to print money. The entire world was looking to him to mint their coins. And who's getting a cut off every coin in the world? Croesus, this guy is a genius, which left him with a problem. If you have the biggest deposit of gold ever found in the history of the world under your feet, who wants it? Everybody. So Croesus had to create a big army to protect his stuff. The issue was, is they were 1,500 meters high in an impenetrable thing. So here's what he did. He built a 40-foot high wall around the 1,500 meter high rock face to make it even more penetrable and then impenetrable and then famously said, we are now unattackable. Here's the problem. They kept getting attacked. In 546 BC, Cyrus the Persian sent spies to Sardis. And here's what he said. He said, you guys find me a way in to steal that gold or don't come back, right? So these spies, they don't know what to do. Here's how the story goes. There was a watchman, an army person on the wall. Now, would you agree with me if your job is watching the wall of Sardis? That is boring, right? And so he fell asleep on the job. His head bobbed. And his helmet fell off his head. And it went end over end down the 1,500 meters to the valley below. Instead of going to the central military post and getting a new helmet or, you know, just making up a story and saying, hey, I was playing my helmet and dropped it. He doesn't do that. He doesn't daub himself in. Here's what he does. 
He sneaks down to the valley below through a secret passageway that was dug by Croesus from the center of the city down to the valley below. It was for use for the military only, and it bypassed the wall. So he goes down there, he fetches his helmet, puts it back on, and goes back up through the secret passageway, which only revealed the entrance to the secret passageway, which would bypass the wall to the Persian spies. So they tell Cyrus this, and in 546 BC, a platoon of Persian soldiers bypassed the watchmen on the wall by going up the secret passageway, coming up in the middle of the city while everyone was asleeping, and they robbed the city blind. When everybody woke up, all their stuff was gone, and it was robbed by people who bypassed the wall through a secret passageway because the army guy fell asleep. This is in 546 BC. In 398 BC, Antiochus the Great did it again through the same passageway. So once everyone was dead that remembered it, people got complacent again. They fell asleep, and their stuff was taken. In 336 BC, Alexander the Great did it Again, what was happening in this city is every time the group of people failed to remember what it was and the dangers of being complacent, their stuff kept being taken, which leads me to this. Is Brisbane much unlike that? Like, we're living in the richest moment ever. According to Forbes magazine, the generation turning 19 today has more money in the bank at 19 than the previous four generations before it had combined. We have so much extra money now, we actually don't know what to do with it. So we pay people $70 an hour to rub our shoulders because they feel tight. That's a lot of money. That's a lot of money. Yesterday at Carindale Mall, there was three nail shops that were booked out with women paying people to do their nails for them. That is a lot of money. My great-grandmother never had stuff like that. Never. There's somebody in Brisbane this week making a full-time wage permanently removing women's facial hair. That is a lot. My great-grandmother definitely didn't have that, right? <laughs> you should have seen him. It was unbelievable. Okay? We have so much money. We, we, we can drive motor cars on paved roads to stores that prepackage food for us with clean water in our tap, machines that do washing, other machines that do drying, world-class healthcare right down the road, and it's largely free because Australia believes that healthcare should be accessible to all people regardless of social economic status. You live in one of the greatest, most secure places on the earth that is safe. Why? Because if someone attacks you, America and Germany and the United Kingdom would be here in hours. I think we actually have a military base here to, to help protect. And New Zealand very thankful for that because I think New Zealand has one fighter jet in its entire arsenal, okay? We, we live in one of the most richest, secure places that has ever existed in the history of the world. And the danger in that is, is getting complacent and falling asleep. Losing our desperation of our need for God. In those moments, the church in Australia has never been persecuted. That's ridiculous. Nor, nor do I want it to be. I'm, I'm happy living free right? I prefer this, okay? But, but because we've never been persecuted, it's very easy to be lulled into this lack of desperation for the presence of God. And actually, that's what was happening in Sardis. Now, that's the geopolitical history. Here's the religious history. Next slide. So, so Sardis was dominated by the religious rule of Kibbala, the daughter of Zeus, twin of Apollo. She's this female, she's this female goddess. Kibbala was also known as Artemis to the Greeks and Diana um, to the Romans. And so, so if you hear Diana, Kibbala, Artemis, same, same, same exact 
uh, uh, goddess. And so she ruled the roost in Ephesus and Sardis. Actually, the central temple was to honor Kibbola. And actually, I found a picture of her. So here is a picture of Kibbola. There she is. Isn't she awesome? Like, that's, that's Kibbola. She, she, let me tell you a few things about Kibbola. She was the goddess of the hunt, right? So before, they didn't have grocery stores back then. To, to, you had to go kill your own food. It didn't matter how rich you were, right? And so what would happen is, is you'd go by the temple of Kibbola, you'd give an offering and ask her to please bring small animals into your path so you could eat, right? Here's the trouble. She was the goddess of the hunt. She was also the goddess of the protection of small animals, so, so there was a little bit of um, a, a conflict of interest, right? Um, she was the goddess of fertility. The, 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 uh, the, the religious thing on Kibbola was that she had the ability to sustain all life. As you could tell, she's got 20 sets of breasts, right? And, it, and the idea is, is that I have enough milk to, 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 to feed every, right? and, and that's just, I mean, let's just be honest. Even when it's 3,000 years old and made of stone, a 20-breasted woman it's just awesome. That's just awesome, right? She, she was very oppressive to men, right? Because here's the thing. A female goddess who oppresses men, like, here's the thing. Follow me here, right? If you're a man and you can't find food for one day, what do you do? You go back and give more money. What if you can't find food a second day? <laughs> what about a third day? What if you can't find food for a week? So there's a story from history that there was a famine in Sardis, which was problematic because who lived there? All the rich people. The idea that you don't have enough money to go find food, that's a problem. But think about it, right? If you're a man, right? If you're a man and you can't find food for your family, who do you assume you've offended? Kibbola. So how does a group of men prove to a female goddess that they're loyal to her? What do they do? Here's what they did. 1,500 men from Sardis in a religious frenzy went to the temple of Kibbola and they self-castrated themselves. And they took their testicles and they put it on the altar of Kibbola and allowed them to be burned to prove that they were loyal to this female goddess. Right, right? By the way, isn't the Bible entertaining? Isn't this entertaining? By, by, by the way, by the way, in 1918, archaeologists found the ancient temple to Kibbola in, in modern-day Turkey, and it's now a tourist attraction. So, if you're ever in modern-day Turkey and you find the Temple of Kibla as a tourist attraction and you find the altar, don't sit on it. It has history, right? So, <laughs> so here's, here, here was what was going on. And Oh, by the way, Kibla received worship through giant open-aired um, acts of immorality. I'll say it that way, right? I'll, I need the adults to hear read through what I'm saying. So, so uh, like it, these giant open-aired things. Now, let me, let me stop. I'm going to be slow about this because I feel like I rushed through it in the first service. I'm going to be slow about this. Paul built a church there and it thrived. And you thought Brisbane was hard. Oh, man. No one in Australia cares about God. What? No. Hang on. Paul built a church there and it thrived. How? Simple. Paul comes in with a simple message. Hey, everybody, I serve a God that just loves you, regardless of ritual. He just loves you. And you know what? He'll save you in childbirth and he'll feed you just because he loves you and you can keep all your bits intact. <laughs> Join us. 
there would have been a revival. You can't believe it. Hey, 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 one thought here. Might it be relevant that she was the goddess in charge of the region when Paul said, I don't permit a woman to have authority over a man? Maybe this wasn't about holding women down as much as it was about freeing men from the oppressive regime of a female goddess that might demand self-mutilation at a horrible level. Paul does this, and this irritates the followers of Kibbalah. How do we know this? Because they were profiteering on it. And so they had him arrested. How do we know that? Because it was written down in Acts 19. And in Acts 19, they take him to the court and the pagan judge says, what do you want me to do with him? He has not robbed our temple, nor has he blasphemed our goddess one time. So Paul went to Sardis and built a thriving church without saying one bad thing about Kibbalah. Could we do that? Would you agree with me that Christianity is best served glorifying Jesus instead of announcing on Facebook all the things we're against? Right? Come on! Isn't it just more compelling to do it that way? Because I want to echo what Pastor Ann said. Let's pray for our nation. Yes. There's an election coming. Yes. Is it important? Yes. Is God still in control no matter what? Yes, let's, also, let's, let's make sure that in all that, that we keep our faith that the Spirit of God is accomplishing what He's going to accomplish, right? Like, don't, don't ever buy into this small mindset. Like, I, I hear some Christians like, oh God, oh man, oh man, what are we going to do, you know? What if labor gets in? Oh my God, right? And you're like, wait a minute, hold on. Jesus overcame Sardis, bro. Just, just a quick history of God, okay? Nothing big, quick history of God. The God you're connected to overcame the Egyptian Empire, the Babylonian Empire, the Assyrian Empire, the Roman Empire, Sardis, the Dark Ages. I think he can handle Donald Trump, right? Right, he's like, oh, Donald Trump, that's child's play. What are you talking, like, like we, we have faith in the God that gets what he wants in the long run, absolutely. The spirit of the risen Christ overcame the intense debauchery of Sardis. Whatever's going on in Brisbane tonight, whatever the worst thing is, it's Nickelodeon compared to Sardis, okay? It's Nickelodeon compared to Corinth, compared to Galatia, compared to Philippi. We are living in a moment where we get to see the effects of everything God has been up to in our history, and it is awesome. Now, with that, as the geopolitical and historical context. Let's see if it makes sense what Jesus says to them. Watch this, next slide. This is Revelation chapter one. Uh, I know your deeds, you have a reputation for being alive, but you're actually dead. Wake up, strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. Remember therefore what you have received and heard. Hold it fast and repent. But if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief and you will not know. At what time come? This is a city that is notorious for falling asleep at the wheel and getting their stuff stolen. Watch this. Yet you've already had a few people. Yet, yet you have a few people in Sardis who have not sold their clothes. They will walk with me dressed in white, for they're worthy. The one who is victorious will like them be dressed in white. I will never blot out the name of that person from the book of life, but will acknowledge that name before my Father and his angels. Let him who has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. So, so what if this was written to the church in Brisbane, or to the church at Ormo, 
on the hill. What if this was written to us? I don't think we're much different. I don't think Brisbane is much different than Sardis, minus the debauchery and minus the, the mutilation of, of physical bodies and sacrifice and trying to buy your way into God's giving you food. I, I, I think we're, we've way evolved past that. But, but I think the spirit of the thing is still alive and well. And that is the temptation to take our security and our affluence and live in apathy. And I think, I think that's the same. Where we've lost the voices of the urgent, infinite possibilities of what God could do with our life. Because why? Well, we're rich and we're secure, right? And I think the message to us is the same as to them. And that is, one, wake up. What are you doing? Wake up. Don't fall asleep at the wheel here. Don't do that. Don't, don't get lulled into the idea that our whole Christian walk is just waiting to go to heaven when we die. That's boring. Nor should Christianity be a list of everything we're against. That's also boring. Christianity is an effort by people to say yes to the infinite possibilities God has for our life and say yes every day to bring heaven to every place we see hell here and participate in that repairing of the world. And there's still tons to do. Wake up. Two, your deeds are not yet finished. He says, wake up. What are you doing? You're not done. You, did you think you were done? You are not done. Your deeds aren't even close to finished. Like the best days for Highway Church are ahead of it, not behind it. For sure. Ahead of it, not behind it. For sure. And if that's the case, then there's still infinite possibilities for you to be involved and do something with your life. There is no way. You can't be sitting on your butt waiting to go to heaven when you die because your deeds are not yet finished. If the best days for highway are yet ahead of it, then that means the people to get it there might not even know you exist yet. And we have to make space for their passion and their personality and their talent and their gifts. We have to make space for that kind of stuff. Why? Because our deeds are not yet finished. We can't rest on the laurels of yesterday and think we've done enough. No, 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 no. Wake up. Your deeds are not yet finished. Third, he says, remember and hold it fast. Remember, and hold it fast. Remember, they're living in a world, if they get caught doing this, they die. He goes, hey, there's a bigger thing going on here. Bigger thing, there's a way bigger thing. Remember, hey, hey, remember that thing you got excited about right at first? You know, when you first started walking with God, you know, the voices of the infinite possibilities were really loud, but then urgent things and complacent things, they sort of, sort of let that dull down. And my prayer for you today is that those voices of the infinite possibilities would come alive inside of you again. Wake up. Your deeds are not yet finished. Remember and hold it fast. This is a reference to ancient rabbinical teaching about the role of a disciplined imagination. What the ancient rabbis say, and this is so true and so helpful, they say a fleeting imagination will not hurt you nor help you. So if you have a wicked thought, like some sort of something that would destroy you, if you have a, a, like, let's take lust, for instance. If you have this fleeting lustful thought, which everybody will have at some point, if you have this fleeting lustful thought, as long as it comes and goes quickly, it's not gonna hurt you. But if you discipline your imagination and you allow that woman or that man to become an object of your lust and you objectify them as a person, that disciplined imagination will eventually destroy you, right? It's also true positively. A fleeting imagination doesn't help you. Somebody has a different vision every day, you know, just what you do. We're going to do big things for God, right? Then they never do anything with it. And then they're on to the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. It's not going to help them either. 
What, what, what John is calling us back to is to remember what we signed up for. Remember how excited we were and hold it fast. Why? Because our deeds are not yet finished and we need to discipline our imagination. Where we discipline our vision, where we discipline our seeing, where we discipline our imagination is where our reality will draw to. So what's he saying to us? I think he's saying the same thing. Wake up. Your deeds are not yet finished. You need to remember and hold it fast. Number four, repent and return to your dream. In, in this sense, repentance is not a shame-based thing. It's not like, hey, you've sinned, be sorry. That's not what he's talking about. It, the, the word repentance there is to just simply turn around, come back to what you, come back to those infinite possibilities. Come back to giving your life to something that matters. Come back to, to reaching thousands. Come back to this moment. Come back to this thing. Like if, if, if you're sitting around and you're wondering, why am I just mildly depressed? Maybe it's because we haven't given our life to something that matters beyond us. Of course we're mildly depressed. John says, no, 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 there's a bigger thing at play. There's a bigger thing at play. Those people would have never thought that thousands of years later, there'd be a group of people in Ormo who were sitting around celebrating the fact that they they held fast and they saw it through and the spirit of the risen Christ saw the thing through. And, and John's saying, no, 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 return. What are you doing? Don't, don't get complacent, return. Wake up. Your deeds are not yet finished. Hold it fast and remember and return to that. And I think the last thing he would say is what he said to them. Be encouraged by each other. There's this subtle thing in there. He says, he says, hey, look around. There's lots of people in Sardis who haven't sold their clothes. Let's stop and think about that for a second. Can you imagine how hard it would be to be a fully devoted follower of Jesus in Sardis? First of all, if you got caught, you died. That infinitely makes it harder than whatever we deal with here. If you got caught, you died. Second, you're surrounded by affluence. Can you imagine a very rich person in Sardis coming up to you and going, Tell me exactly why is your God better than our God? Because I'm, I'm following Kibbola and I'm very wealthy and secure and safe. Why exactly would I follow Jesus? Can you help me with that again? What, what is it you guys do? Oh, oh, we do things for others who can do nothing in return for us because that's how our rabbi taught us to live. Why would you do that? It's just how our, could you imagine how hard that would be? That'd be very difficult to convince people like that. And, and there'd be a moment where, when you, you gotta think, when I hear Christians talk in America or in Australia or whatever, and they go, oh, the evil of the world. Like, hang on. In Sardis, you would walk out of your front door and there could possibly be public immorality in the courtyard of Kibbola as an act of worship. Something we've never seen in public. Like that. Could you imagine walking out, trying to protect your children from that sort of view? Can, can you imagine trying to live in that as a fully devoted follower of, of Jesus? There, there might be a moment where you, where you sit in bed at night and you're like, is this actually worth potentially losing my life over? I, I think I'm actually by myself. No one's buying into this. No one's doing this. And, and John is pointing out, hey, no, 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 no. Don't think you're by yourself. There's lots of people in Sardis. They're just being quiet about it because they could die. And you need to know that you're not alone in this because loneliness is the first thing in the whole Bible that God says, that's not good. Hey, that's good, 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 good. Oh no, loneliness, that's not good. Because the feeling of loneliness diminishes the voices of the infinite possibilities we have for our life. And here's the problem with a church like this. Here's the problem. Incredible atmosphere, dynamic expectation, really good preaching, things like this that you get every single week, every week. Here's the problem. 
There's a way that you can come into something like this and experience all of it legitimately. Be legitimately moved by it. But then when you leave, you're lonelier than ever before. And that's a tragedy. What happens is, is the voices of the infinite possibilities go down. And my prayer for you today is that the voices of the possibilities for your life will go up. How? My challenge to you today is to wake up. Wake up. Your deeds aren't finished. Remember, hold it fast. Return to that. But before you leave today, be an encouragement to one or two people. Let them know you're not by yourself. Hey, I know you're struggling with a medical thing and I can't solve that, but I'll be present with you in that suffering. I will, you're not alone, you're not alone. Hey, hey, you're a good mom, you're you're not alone. Hey, you're a good dad, you're not alone. Hey, that business thing you're starting, I'm with you. I can't do anything to really help, but I'll be present with you in it. You are not alone, you're not by yourself. This is something Elijah dealt with. Let me show you this, next slide. So Elijah had um, had this moment, you know? So Elijah had this moment where in 1 Kings where he says, He says, you know what? I've been very zealous for the Lord and yet they've killed all the prophets. I'm the only one left and now they're gonna kill me. They're gonna kill me now. I feel by myself. And remember what God says to him. He says, Elijah, if you let me do it my way, Elijah, pull your head out. Look up, lift your head and realize there's 7,000 people still standing with you whose knees have not bowed to Baal. Sometimes we just need to be reminded that we're not alone. So, my brothers and sisters of Highway, wake up. Your deeds are not yet finished. There are still infinite possibilities for your life. Repent, turn around, hold it fast, and remember that initial dream God gave you. Say yes to the voices of the infinite possibilities God has for your life again. Say yes to that again. Turn around and say yes to that and be encouraged by each other. Because if you just take a second and you look around, there's a lot of people in here who have not sold their clothes and you are not alone. I'd love to see you back tonight. I got something very special for you. I hope Jesus just got bigger. Hope the cross worked better. Hope the resurrection central and hope scriptures got bigger, not smaller. May we say yes again to the infinite possibilities God has for our life. Until I see you tonight, everybody, grace and peace. God bless.